<laughs> go. Let's let's take the opportunity while we're there. I can't, you know, for the sake of the listener, we've just spent 20 minutes trying to figure this out. I take full responsibility. And Stu, this is, as you say, one of the things that people don't talk about, the technical issues when it comes to recording remote podcasts at times. Yeah, I experience this a lot, like trying to get people to sign up. You, have, you send them a link, it doesn't work. You get in the room, then people can't get in the room. You start recording and it bombs out like it happens. Like in, I would say maybe 20% of the episodes that I've released have had some sort of technical issue. The quality's disappeared. Like people have been bombed out. Like just no one talks about it because it's like, oh, look at how amazing this podcast is that I've produced. But like right now we've just... Just technology. It absolutely has our lives. And we've done nothing different. Your time yeah. Wasted your time. Sorry, sir. Oh, you haven't wasted my time at all. It was a- You were amiss telling me because you're in the process. Well, you're not in the process. When your rental agreement comes to an end is you're coming back to the UK. Wait, there is, a, is there a time difference in Gibraltar? There's not, is there? Yeah, it's just an hour. So oh, it's, okay. not, it's not huge. But yeah, like we were saying, it's just the weather's going to be a bit of a... Like, not today. It's an absolute awful day today. But normally glorious sunshine so coming back to the uk is going to be a bit of a shock to the system to say the least is that you drawing a line under it then because i know you've been like a little bit of a digital nomad for a while now is that back to the uk for good i would never say never like i quite like to travel i quite the there was a i think it was maybe dan core that mentioned it once and he was saying about this idea of like kind of moving every six months and his whole thing was it's like in six months, you've maybe gone to most of the restaurants that you would normally go to. You've walked a lot of the paths or the tracks. And then kind of after six months is when things maybe start getting a little bit repetitive. And like we did a year here, then we went for a year in New Zealand, and then we've came back for a year here. Then we'll head back to the UK. Just obviously it's visas and like Brexit has, has had an absolute nightmare for us traveling in Europe. In an ideal world, we'd live in Spain and just bob about in Spain. You just like I'd be okay with a digital nomad, but my partner needs a work visa, and they're just really not easy to come by. So that's very limiting. Right? Yeah, your job, our job, do from anywhere. Mm. Are you solely your own empire now? Because I know you was doing a little bit of outsourced work elsewhere last time we spoke. No, I'm still doing a little bit of outsourced work. It's just one of one of those things, you know. I think with everything going on in the space there's an element of security there with that outsourced work but at the same time i've got every intention of of working away from that over the next sort of couple of months and definitely in this year for sure but yeah it's it it's nice to be able to have an impact in an area in the space that maybe doesn't get as much support as it maybe does need yeah it's all right we won't name uh, name names or anything like that not that it sounds like it's a slight but it's just I think there is something to be said just for security of work mm. sometimes because it is a, a highly volatile industry. It's still in its infancy. When it's good, it's good. But you can, well, what I've experienced is you can never be complacent because we're subjected to lots of things that are out of our control. Like economically, for example, when inflation is through the roof and people's price, uh, price of goods are through the roof, is that does have an impact on how much money people take home how much disposable income they have no matter how much they see it as a priority is they are less inclined to you and i probably will class it as essential but for many people it's luxury items and coaching 
as a service is considered a luxury item for a lot of people. And yeah. I feel like it's often missed in the, the fitness and health space. I feel there's a lot of people who do love the space and they tend to become coaches and they forget that narrative that not everyone has that same love, that same passion for things like training. And it's really easy to let your own perspective of like, oh, we should all be prioritizing our health kind of cloud what other people are actually doing. So like for it, it's really easy for us to sit here and be like, oh yeah, absolutely, you should be prioritizing your health. But when you've got debt building up or you've got however many jobs to go and work and you've got so much going on in your life, the economic crisis side of things, cost of living's right through the roof. We've just came out the back end of Christmas, which is an expensive time of year for a lot of people. And all of that compounded you can understand why some people really struggle in the space at this time of year. They want to make change, but they can't necessarily invest huge amounts of money into that. And with a lot of the arguably unhelpful narratives of coaching becoming quote unquote high ticket, a lot of people are simply being priced out and they've got no support that they need because they just can't afford it. Like some people are charging ridiculous amounts of money per month for a coaching service, which I'm not going to, dis anyone else's service, but I don't know where the justification of price comes from. Hmm. I think that's it's something that's come up on here many times is the distinguishable thing between a product and a service is mm. I do understand a slightly higher barrier to entry. I'm not going to use high ticket. It makes me feel disgusting. It's gross. It makes me want to vomit. And to be quite honest, if I was a paying client of an individual dis- Describing me as high ticket, or even talking about the the monthly income, I just that that's for me that is just a huge turnoff. I'm not inspired by that. It's crass. It's gross. It's the details that people don't need to hear. I don't think, especially what we do, it's so personable and personal based. Is people are invested in you, and I don't want to be thought of or seen as just another notch on the bedpost, so to speak for want of a better phrase. But a misconception I find is that a lot of people have said to me, you must be so, so busy at the moment. And I'm no less busy, no more busy, because I actually find that February is the busiest month for me, because as you say, people are naturally a little bit skint after Christmas, because I've spent extortionate amount of money on gifts, feeding other people and getting through the slog that is January until January payday, or perhaps they've invested in a new gym membership or investing in some new equipment or just making some concerted effort to impose a few lifestyle changes and it's once that motivation inclination wanes towards the end of the month they're like now i need some help that's how what i felt anyway yeah we were actually having this discussion earlier on in the week with some of the coaches that i regularly speak to and, and they were saying the same you know it's quite normal to see a really high level of kind of self-drive people are like yeah i'm gonna make a change and then they potentially enter a lot of those really common barriers and that's the point where it becomes easier to reach out for that kind of extra support to say like oh maybe i am struggling maybe as that initial enthusiasm for change does start to wane as you say that can really be like oh maybe i do need some further support and it's i imagine it's just like any industry right there's like highs and lows like for example i'm just thinking of like hairdressers like there's a particular time of year where hairdressers are like, oh my God, I'm snowed under. And it's usually like up, leading up to Christmas, doing ridiculous long days, trying to get as many clients in as possible. 
I imagine there's peaks and troughs. I don't know that many other industries, so I can't comment, but just from experience, there's, there's going to be peaks and troughs in them all. Mm. I think there's definitely a conversation around supply and demand there. People, for example, will always need their haircut. I don't know whether everyone needs, like, I need to survive by investing in coaching or going to the gym. And that is why people make that, as, you know, initially a first cut. And I feel like the loophole for a lot of coaches going coming out of the coaching space, going into the mentoring space at the moment, are using the same principles they did from a coaching perspective in mass group coaching or less coaching, I would say, a more delivered product. We've had many mm-hmm. conversations about this. I, I suspect it's more delivered product because you can't possibly, just from a practicality standpoint, this is not a slight on anyone and what they may or may not do. I just think from pragmatically is you can't, from a self-preservation point of view, invest your time, energy, and emotion because emotional investment is part of our job as well to coaching, in air quotations, like 500, 600 people. Yeah, I feel like it's been watered down. So like what actual coaching is has been watered down to the point where everyone thinks they're getting coaching, but by real terms, it's exactly what you've said. It's a product. And this is, I think, A, it's diminishing the industry to an extent because there's genuine coaches out there who do actually coach and help people make change. And I've seen this personally. Someone will come in and be like, oh, like, I don't get a meal plan. I don't, like, you're going to sit down and ask me what gym equipment I've got available. And and it's like, well, even that is at the absolute base level of just general personalization and meeting someone where they are and that's not to go into the the depth of actually where are your personal barriers how can we navigate these how can i meet you where you are and help you face some of the struggles explore what that your own emotional experience is like they're just that's not anything that gets spoken about because they're so used to this other version of coaching and as soon as you start to introduce that i think people are a quite shocked and like there's a, there's a pushback for me because like you say, these programs where they're getting hundreds of people in, they're often sold under the guise of ending your, your dieting or, you know, make this the last program that you ever do. But there's none of the fundamental bits in there to actually do that. Like if you're not supporting someone around something like body image or relationship with food or relationship with self, if you're not spending the time helping them understand their own emotional experience and how that impacts like their behaviors and how they show up in the world. Are we really helping that person move away from yo-yo dieting or is it just another version of a fad diet that's just packaged up slightly differently, albeit not a cabbage soup diet? Like we're not saying it's as, as grim as that, but it's still not doing what we said on the tin. Mm. Definitive start, definitive end. Mm. Essentially inflicting lots of lifestyle and health changes that you're not going to stick with post that period you know, for whatever reason that may be. I think even on a more basic level in terms of due diligence, care consideration, and making sure what you're delivering is appropriate for the person investing is just some sort of screening process. Mm. Because I know of and have known people that have come to me regarding coaching. And it's not that I've said I'm not the right person, but getting to the the nitty gritty of their needs, it's they may have a, a history of slightly disordered Patterns that I may, may not be within my scope of practice, for example, mm. and I, I've signposted them in direction of someone more appropriately experienced to work with someone with eating disorders, maybe. And then I've come to find out, find out at a later date they've joined a, 
mass group coaching plan. And there's two sides to this, right? So you, you can only go with the information people provide. So if they don't disclose that kind of information, of course, you have to accept them onto a program. But also, if your entry and the barrier to entry is so low in that it's essentially just a questionnaire that is filled in, you're not going to delve into their personal experiences, how long they've been inflicted by an eating disorder or disordered eating behaviors or relationship with food, emotional eating, you know, whether they've got a history of losing the substantial amount of weight and then putting that all back on all of these other things that you need to delve into in terms of someone's mental and physical health that you just bypass essentially when you're just looking to get as many people through the doors as possible. And, you know, cost is a factor to that. And when people want help, they're, they're desperate, they're vulnerable, they're willing to invest their money. Yeah, I think something you pointed out there's really important that actually, if we just take a, a broad snapshot of people that have potentially been surrounded by diet culture, some people that you encounter have been surrounded by diet culture. And I was speaking to a woman not that long ago. She was like 68, I think, 67, 68. And she'd been dieting since she was 11. And it's like, there has to be an aspect. There's no way that someone can be exposed to diet culture for that long. Have yo-yo dieted that many times and then not be an aspect of some underlying struggles there. And I think it's so easy to be like, oh, well, I'll help you enjoy your dieting. But at the same time, we have a duty of care to say, well, actually, exactly like you said, maybe maybe I'm not the right coach. And it's the same with, I've had people come to me and they've got, they've potentially, they're neurodivergent, got ADHD. And I'm like, well, actually, I don't have lived experience of that. So he is an amazing coach who does, who will be able to support you. And it doesn't mean to say that I couldn't necessarily do that but there's just better coaches out there for people. And I feel when you've, when you're willing to do that, when you're willing to refer people out and send them to that signpost, like I think that's a really important thing that we need to do as coaches as well. Like build those networks, those referral networks within ourselves and, and be able to identify actually, yeah, this person's going to be a great fit for this person, as opposed to me who could potentially take them, take them on as a client but i would maybe be denying them the opportunity to get the support that they need simply by them working with me you spoke to standards earlier on and i think that that's exactly it and you you know a lot of those points really resonated there that it's essentially a race to the bottom and i I fully appreciate by the way that when people set out their their coaching journey if you like is there is a little bit of insecurity there. You're worried about where the next person you're going to work with coming from and, you're, you know, everyone's got bills to pay and everything else that we all have to worry about as part of adult life anyway. But when you are speaking about standards and a referral network and, okay, it's it's still in its infancy, but it's the best time to get in the industry because there is such a plethora of experience out there. There's a wealth of knowledge bases, is it lifts the standard. If you can comfortably refer someone out, not necessarily with the intent that that's going to be reciprocated at some point, but it's highly likely that someone will go to someone else with an area of expertise that are yours. And then, you know, possibly it comes back to you in that way. But if when people have good experiences, it helps everyone. Because yeah. I'd much rather signpost someone, or even like, you know, I'm very cautious. I will only... I will only refer based on a personal understanding of how that individual works. I won't just refer a random. And if I can't 
you know, it's a reflection of self, isn't it? You refer someone to another coach, they have a horrific experience. That's you that impacts, you know, and that is on you. So I will comfortably turn around and say, I'm really sorry. I just don't know anyone with that area of expertise. I've heard about this person, perhaps further investigate. But, you know, essentially when someone goes to another coach and has a great experience, the consumer has a great experience, the coach has a great experience. And, you know, that lifts the standards rather than it becoming a race to the bottom. Yeah, I think that's really important what you mentioned there about actually knowing how the person operates. And I think, you know, you've had some amazing guests on your podcast, people that you've spoken to, that you can get a feel for who they are and the way that they coach. And as even, you know, you had Sky on just not that long ago. And you can tell from the way that she speaks, from the way that she talks, by your understanding of diet culture. And and I don't personally know her, but just from listening to the podcast, I was like, oh, this is, this is interesting. Obviously, my referral network is heavily based on people that I have chatted to that I've spoken to and try to direct that way but it's so easy to just be like oh just go and try this person when actually like you say that can have a negative impact on not only your own reputation but on that person and I feel that if we genuinely have this intention of helping the person in front of us and just have their best interests at heart and stand by that that age-old saying of just like do no harm and I think that's something that is seemingly fading in some areas of the industry. And I, I get trapped in my own echo chamber quite a lot because I only really surround myself with amazing coaches and I only really follow amazing coaches. And occasionally I'll go back into that other area of the fitness space and it's like, oh, wow, it's like the Wild West out here. Like, this is this is not... I saw a post earlier on in the week and it was about role models and it was about how you could be a better father, quote unquote, because you were leaner and more muscular, making this kind of, and this was marketing, right? Like it was pinpointing men's insecurities around their ability to be role models and saying like, you're going to become a better role model by being leaner and more muscular. And like, I forget that goes on because I purposely exclude myself from it. And sometimes it is a nice reminder, but just randomly referring out to any coach could potentially open that door that they go to someone who uses pain point marketing, shame-based marketing like that. Mm. That taps into something so much deeper as well because I think that on a broader like masculinity, that is your body image, that is your ability to provide, your ability to protect, all of these other things. And part, part of this as well, like I have these conversations with people and I'm just like, other people just don't think about this stuff. And that's not to say I'm like superior in any shape or form. It's maybe that because this stuff is important to me that I do think about this stuff. So I don't want to say that broadly, that sometimes people are well-intentioned. They just don't really understand what that pain point marketing is doing and what that taps into on a deeper level and that shame-based. But those, I gather, I gather, my, my biggest peeve, if you like, and this wasn't meant to be a rant, is, is, and we've had these conversations in private, is those that know better and choose not to do better. Because we've all been in places where we don't know any better. And I don't think we necessarily need to apologise for that, but we do have a responsibility to own it and try to do a better job, acknowledge it as well. You know, So mm. I'm always one for personal disclosure and sharing things and terrible advice I've been given and I've heard in the past and how I've tried to reform myself and I'm trying to make up for it now but 
I think when you have conversations with other coaches, uh, like seemingly industry authorities, mentors that I know personally that acknowledge these aspects that are harmful and unhelpful, okay, maybe not as harmful, that's quite a severe word to use, but at least unhelpful, but they're also in the space where actually let's talk about how much money we can make and let's tap into these pain points and actually let's not resonate with people. Let's tap into their insecurities and exploit them when they're at their most desperate. That's what I'm not on board with. And I I never will be, you know, often to cut my nose off to spite my face. I think I'd much rather have a less successful, as bizarre as that sounds, because I do think you attract the right people into your business. I'd rather have on paper a less successful or a less profitable business and sleep better at night. And again, that's not a superiority brag. That is just me personally. Some people don't have the, the same values. They don't have the same moral compass. They, as they don't think about these things. But for me, that's what it's about. I think something you mentioned there around the, the super, superiority aspect, this is what makes it so tough because we can genuinely do better as a space. And we don't, like, I, part, I know you don't either. I don't want to come across as like, oh, like, this is the superior way to do it. You have to do it this way. But at the same time, we've got huge bodies, bodies of evidence that support the fact that things like transformation photos aren't helpful. And it's really easy to fall into the trap of like, oh, I'm an evidence-based coach, but only looking at some of the evidence. Do you know, and, and it's like, we've got a body of evidence that says the impact that body image has on well-being, the way that social media and transformation photos have on well-being. And again, it's not, we're trying to be superior. And I don't think in any way I am. And exactly like you said, you know, we're all learning. We all make mistakes. We're all human. We're never going to be any different. But when we have that awareness and we don't do better and we don't make the intentional effort to try and change the way that we market, the way that we work within our businesses, the way that we coach, how much of that are we just spending our integrity away for the sake of a business, for the sake of success? And again, that isn't do no harm. That's not like that Mm -hmm. fundamental aspect of coaching of meet the person where they are and support them to make change and give them that autonomy and, and do all of those amazing things. It, it's this real push and pull. And I think that's what makes it hard to talk about because we don't want to appear in any way superior, but at the same time, there is a better way to do this. And not everyone sees that. I agree. And everyone's got different values. Absolutely. But where does, where does integrity fit into all this? Yeah, I think integrity has become, unfortunately, one of those sound bites. And I've heard it described as many of the catchphrases amongst not just the health space, many other industries is intellectual incest is, you know, it's not the transference of knowledge. Knowledge should be introspective on some level. But when you're just regurgitating what you've heard, it essentially makes it null and void. And it just... It falls on, well, for me at least, it falls on deaf ears because people grow super aware to it over time and they become mistrusting. And when they become mistrusting of one that is seemingly like the others, they become, you know, they see everyone as untrustworthy. And that's one of my, my biggest worries, I guess. And there was something else you mentioned that I really wanted to speak to, and it's this 
it sounds really cheesy to say is, is we, we treat the symptom a lot of the times. So I'm thinking like more broadly in terms mm. of communication with consumers and what they should expect. And if we are looking at from an informed point, from choice point of view and people do want to embark on their own dieting journey that may have been exposed to diet culture all of the years is they need to know all of the things that feed all the facets that feed into that kind of programming where those beliefs were formed and why and why to them going down the same route time and time again in this cyclical nature might be unhelpful but that's only if everyone's addressing that mm. if everyone is always treating the cause which is here's another diet here's another exercise plan this is different to what you've done before but it's essentially the same thing as you said wrapped up in different parcel and they're not addressing the introspective work they're not expressing the inner work the inner resources they need to develop and like why why is this why why is this so important to you is it really a confidence issue or is it a shape of the body thing is it an insecurity thing or is it going to feel better once you're an aesthetically better shape you know does these habits that you can recognize that are unhelpful to you and behave that leads into certain behaviors is that because you have certain beliefs around yourself that started from as young as whenever that was four for a lot of people they go a lifetime lifetime with all these beliefs but unless people address all these other aspects that are crucial to them actually getting the sustainable long-time change that they need is they're always going to think the answer is in a diet or a new exercise routine and it's simply not we know that we know that through experience that's been highlighted in the evidence that you know shame doesn't impose longer term change we recognize that before and afters don't and it's that whole before no better not doing better that i've real issue with and people that are seen as seen as authorities and i'm not going to go to the effort of of i don't want to even say calling them out because I just fundamentally disagree with it. And people I consider friends, people that I consider peers, I fundamentally disagree with their ethos, their ethics, personally and professionally. But it's not down to me to police everyone else, which is kind of why I like podcasts and I like longer form content. Because I get, you know, I want the ability to to convey my perspective and talk about the nuances and the things that I think that people should consider when they are embarking on a diet or they are embarking on investing a huge amount in mentoring, when a lot of people that have moved into mentoring are just replicating what they did in the coaching space, which is lots of false promises, essentially. Systemized products built around false promises. Yeah. Let me just, sorry, let me just get off my, my high horse here. That <laughs> <laughs> wasn't the tirade I, I planned at all, but just fell out of my mouth. I don't know what happened now. I think it's important as well. And it's there's a couple of things you mentioned there. The, the first one was around people understanding where potentially some of their beliefs around the body comes from, around their body, sorry, and things like diet culture. And for me, I always reflect on this like noise to a signal. Like we have intuition we have the this ability to do that introspective work but there is so much noise out there in the world there's so much noise from diet culture from these societally held beliefs if we don't provide someone with either just the information that that exists or the ability to kind of look through those and explore them then are we really helping that person make long-term change because they're still going to fall prey to all of the noise and I think that is a really important factor here that if someone understands why they may feel as though in a certain body they don't feel as worthy or they don't feel 
other behaviors that they engage in immediately seem to come back to restriction and dieting then are we really equipping someone for long-term change or is that noise going to come back at some point in future and if they haven't got those skills to be able to say oh this feels like that same pressure that i had all those years ago then it's going to be really easy to fall into those patterns and and again i think that fits in with what you mentioned at the end there are people who know better who are just productizing a, a service like that's all the bit that we're not equipping people with and I, and I do find that that's really problematic and, and again like like we say we're not perfect we're not we're not any of these things but it's tough in this space and it, it's like, like you this is why I love long-form content I, I'm not willing to put a, a bold or a brush or some really controversial point out there for the sake of engagement like at the end of the day there's there's so much nuance to the world there's so much between the extremes that we see like in every aspect of life no matter just health and well-being there's so much nuance and because social media is so polarized because the algorithm feeds it we're just getting more and more pushed to these extremes and i think it's making it really problematic so these type of conversations where you can actually just explore where you can get curious and I think there's a, a huge, and this is something I, I say regularly on my own podcast, and that is I get an insight into how you see the world. So like having this conversation now, I get a little insight into your perspective. I get a little insight into your own, like your own worldview, which helps inform my biases and blind spots. Like, well, actually, I didn't think of that. And it just helps add that little bit more clarity to, to the way that we see the world. So yeah, long mm. form for me all the way. Yeah, it's even if you fundamentally disagree with someone, it, it solidifies in your mind why, whether that is because of your biases or just because it's not aligned with your values or just, frankly, incorrect. Like there are things which are opinion-based, but there are also things that are based in fact. So I think the knowing better and doing better thing as well, for more from an informed choice in terms of consumers that may be listening to this or, or looking to coaching or be, like there are different ways in which you can get results. You can get, I'll break them into directive coaching and non-directive coaching. So I, I certainly think you can get results in air quotations from an aesthetics point of view with what a lot of people came into the industry with, which is essentially directive coaching, which is do this, follow that, and that's going to lead to this. Okay. It can be a little bit more predictable, you know, whether that sticks around for that individual or they continue that longer term or whether that's even realistic to carry longer term because we like to talk about optimals in the fitness space, not as, not really what's realistic for a lot of people. And then the non-directive, which I, I think the non-directive stuff is what is quite baffling, I think, to a lot of coaches, especially if you're not familiar with it, which is this idea around coaching being more of a collaborative thing, mm. getting an understanding of your, the person that you're working with's personal values what their life experiences are, what challenges day to day, are they a family person, you know, how stressful is their job, like what's the, the other stresses in their life that we need to be aware of and, you know, what do they want to do, meeting them where they're at, well, how many days a week do you want to train, would you have access to, would you enjoy, what don't you enjoy, let's not do that. I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but it always baffles me this time of year, the amount of people that say they want to get fit and they've picked up running, but they hate running, like, why, why run? Yeah. <laughs> Many other ways to get fit, like why run? But again, it's it's when we tend to evangelize certain aspects as being the the holy grail. So if you've got fitness professionals saying, well, running is the best thing for fat loss, 
and they've got a, a big profile, lots of followers, then of course there's going to be a huge amount of people that buy into that. And it's the hope, I guess, that you and I, again, not necessarily that we're not the deeply, and I can only speak for myself, I'm a deeply flawed human that doesn't always have their shit together, but they're at least like, oh, actually, that does make a little bit more sense or, or that does resonate with me a little bit more. Maybe I can get fit in other ways. That's the hope anyway. And again, I keep banging on the path the point of informed choice that is what coaching should be it should be these are all the options available to you you can do this this can lead to that this can be potentially harmful for you longer term this possibly isn't going to encourage the most healthful changes i know you're desperately seeking from having a conversation with you but it's a possibility but if you want to do this i'm possibly not the right person for you i think the the big driver for me here is that idea around autonomy and when we fall into this trap of being like, do X, Y, Z, we're just robbing that person of autonomy. And we know how that links to motivation. We can see that in in like self-determination theory, like how much of someone's autonomy and they feel in control and they feel like they're getting the choice, how that impacts even from a, there was a book on marketing and it was talking about how, I think it was, was it maybe charity? They did like some sort of study. It wasn't in any great depth. And it was just even saying to someone, like the choice is entirely yours at the end, increased like charitable donations enormously because people people felt like they had control, they had autonomy. And that's the bit that that more directive coaching seems to miss. Like given Mm. that power to be able to make their own choices. And like you say, informed these are the things that we've got evidence to support. These are the things that we maybe don't have evidence to support. These are the drawbacks of you taking this approach. Feel free to take that approach, but I'm not willing to support you along that because I know that that's not going to be the best outcome for health. But it's still in that person's, it's still in that person's wheelhouse. They still get to pick of like, actually, yeah, now that I have the information, I know that that's maybe not the best approach. I'm going to choose X, Y, Z instead. But it's, we can't force people to do things and it fits back to what you just said five minutes ago about like it's not within your control to police everyone else to to change Mm. the way that people act and the way that they market and it's really easy to fall into like this cynical trap of like the space is is really struggling or there's a lot going on that i don't agree with and i've noticed myself and it fits with what you said about being deep like I'll openly admit I've been cynical about the space. I've fell into the trap of being like, everyone's just out to hurt everyone. Like I don't, it's hard to keep that level of optimism at times when you see some of the shitty practices that are going on. But then at the same time, it's much out of our control. So it's kind of like bringing it back to us. What can we do to control? Well, actually we can have phenomenal conversations like this about some of the nuance, about some of the depth and say, this is how coaching should be done in our opinion. And that is, you get the autonomy, you get to choose. We work alongside you to say, ooh, what's going to be best for you? And and I wholeheartedly agree on the running. I think I've spoke to three people already that were like, I've started running, but I hate running this year. And I was like, well, why, why? Like, I think enjoyment's another huge factor, right? Like when we look at motivation, enjoyment is a huge factor. And so many people feel that health, fitness, particularly fat loss, must be pain and suffering because all of their previous experiences of it have been because they've been eating cereal three times a day or they've been having one apple for the lunch. And because that 
informed their the previous experiences of that and that's now informing how they feel this current experience should be as soon as they're like oh actually i enjoy swimming would swimming maybe not be the mm. more appropriate way for you to improve your health and fitness like oh i didn't know i could swim well yeah of course you can swim it's just whatever works best for you and I, and again that's a huge aspect that's missed in that more directive approach mm. Yeah, there's so many negative connotations around dieting. Essentially, it wasn't constructed for that, and that's part of diet culture, I guess, that that sinister, more stealthy way it infiltrates people's minds and their approaches to things, which is kind of, I think, when you begin to work with someone and things begin to click for them, and they're like, I'm enjoying this and I'm not struggling and I'm still not convinced. I mean, things are, I'm improving things. Things are moving in the direction I want it to, but where's the small print? It's like I, I should be hating this. Yeah, it's really hard for people to get their heads around, especially, as you say, when they have agency and they have autonomy in there, because I'm sure you're familiar with this in, in psychological theories, is there's something called reactance. And I think that's kind of a flaw of directive coaching as well Is this is hugely dependent on personality types, but when people feel like their freedoms or their liberties are removed from them, they just push back. It doesn't even It doesn't matter even if they're of benefit to them. They push back because whether it's a, a problem with authority or, you know, an attack on their agency and their autonomy, like, fuck that, I'm not going to do that because you've told me. I don't care if it's the best thing for me. And without me sharing my, my personal beliefs on it, I mean, we saw that over the pandemic, right? So, <laughs> you tell people they have to do certain things and they feel a certain way about it, whether it's for them or not. So, yeah, I, I probably won't delve into that anymore. But, yeah, I, I think... These conversations are so important. They're important to me. Like I just again, I'm just going to speak from a point of personal disclosure here because I know we've spoken a huge amount on coaching. That wasn't necessarily the intention because we had no plan with the podcast today. But just sharing thoughts and opinions and challenges with like-minded people because I struggle. I struggle every single day. I must think about it as much as I love my job. Uh, I do feel quite defeatist about the space at times and actually just let them eat their own. Like Kind of like council culture. I get that. I feel that about the industry is they will quite happily eat their own. There is no loyalty. There's no preservation of, of people, their character. They live in certain personas. They're willing to do whatever it takes. And they're not that invested in the health of the people they work with unless it's self-serving in some way which again is why people choose to use before and afters, even though someone may have got there in a hugely unhealthy ways to promote their services because it has to be self-serving. And if it's not self-serving, I'm not willing to talk to you. And I find that with mentors in the fitness space. I find that with peers of mine that, you know, I may have come up with, if that isn't too gross to say, that I've known years gone by and that, you know, that they are investing conversation, providing they can get something out of it or it's a sales pitch in some way, or it's what, how's business going? And that leads into, you, you can see it coming a mile off. I, you know, I saw someone at IFS in Portugal and we did our postgraduate together. So I've known this guy for a long, long time and just general chit chat. I'm asking, I think important details like, How's your family? How's your child, etc.? They just want to talk about business. And they just want to talk about business because they want to talk about this new product that they have to sell. It's like, oh, come on, man. Like, I'm I'm not more special than anyone else, but I've known you a long time. Don't, don't do me like that. 
and you do feel like you've been done dirty and that really puts me off people so when i have these conversations although this sounds like a, a ranty ravey i guess podcast i do feel hugely negative about it today so maybe it's the day in my, my frame of mind i think there's enough toxic positivity there's enough happy clappy stuff out there perhaps if you love that stuff this podcast isn't for you but i'm always going to be honest even if it's cutting my nose off to spite my face and that, that's why i enjoy having the more i don't want to say pessimistic the more realistic conversations yeah and i think there's a there's a huge thing to take into account here and that is there's a lot of narratives around if you're a coach you should love your job you should do xyz and that aspect of this positivity this real push towards positivity it's still just not making space for some of the air conversations we've had but the emotions that we can feel like we've gone through and i actually have this thought on all of the current i'll put them under the, the banner of tools but i mean and things like ice baths journaling like don't get me wrong or they may have benefits in and of themselves like i love journaling but at the same time how much of are we using those to still just deny that we feel shit that we're having a bad day how much are we using these as a way to just go and suppress emotions even more and i i i'm all for like changing our state and and you know moving to this like oh i'm going to be a bit more optimistic or i'm going to be a bit more quote unquote positive but if all we're doing is still avoiding all of the stuff that we're struggling with, we're still not helping ourselves long-term. We're still diminishing our emotional experience. Like we need to create space for those days where we feel awful. Like we're allowed to, we're allowed to feel sad. And I, mm. I just think there's so many approaches out there at the moment that are just trying to drive people through that, whether that's in coaching, whether that's in mentoring, or whether that's just in like the the sale of these practices, it's just drive people through that rather than actually creating space for it. So having conversations like this for me is more important because people get to see like it's okay to have a, a potentially quote unquote pessimistic worldview or that things maybe don't feel like they're going all that great or actually not everything is hunky dory in the space all the time. Because we can just fall into these traps and, and deny that aspect if we're going to embrace true acceptance and be willing to say this is actually what the situation is right now, which is something that we try and encourage the people that we work with to do, then we also need to be willing to do it as well. And I, I find that that's a bit of a disconnect. It's just mm. like, oh, business is amazing. Everything's going really well. Well, actually, right now I'm really struggling. This, this isn't going so well. Maybe I am struggling to communicate with my audience. Or uh, and, and again, I know we've briefly discussed this in private about you mentioned there about this authenticity and how someone shows up. And I would argue we're now at the stage where the idea of authenticity is being pushed so much that it's now just performative. Mm. So are no longer themselves. And yes, we're going to have a different face that we do on social media and we're all going to wear different masks depending on the circumstances that we're in. And I'm going to be a different person when I'm talking to you than I would be talking to my partner because the level of trust, the level of relationship that we've got. But I don't think we need to push that to extremes for the sake of quote unquote authenticity to connect with our audience. And that, that's another problematic aspect that I really struggle with at the moment, but 
that's that's it's almost by definition being inauthentic to be falsely authentic because as much as people bang the drum of authenticity if you're not representing yourself in its entirety the good and the bad and the ugly as we all have is you are denying the people that you are supposedly authentically connecting with and i think there's a deeper conversation actually around mental health there as well is that whether it's mental illness or mental ill health that people are experiencing or we're just talking about mental health broadly is a hugely important part of that is sharing things honestly and look not for the sake of sad fishing or being that person that shows up every day just to moan about things but the whole discussion around people not being alone is that they find people that are feeling the same as them and actually recognizing they're not the odd one out so if everyone is this being authentic, but that means being happy, clappy, or, or being a persona that legit their in-person persona has never met, that is inauthentic and people will feel ostracized, they will feel alone, or they will feel like they're being distinctly negative when actually what they're experiencing is what it is to be human. It's, it's almost nonsensical. It makes no sense. And I think there's so much of the industry that is, and we all do it, I've certainly, I don't want to say be, been victim to it, but I've... I've certainly fallen for it, this confusion of enlightenment, which is actually avoidance. And I've been there. I've been that person. I've avoided the hardships in my life and immersed myself in training and, and what I'm feeding my body because I'm controlling in my life what I can when everything else feels uncontrollable. Mm. Or, you know, people that may be having difficulties in the relationship, but they've got an audience they've got to play up to. So they've got to do that morning ice bath or they can talk about journaling, even though they don't ever bloody pick up a pen. It's again, it's, it's just, I think some of it is consciously avoidance. I say consciously, subconsciously avoidance. Some of it is consciously avoidance. I think people do that as well is this is an unhealthy distraction, but this is serving a purpose. And ultimately that is self-preservation. Our, our brains have this wonderful capacity to look after us. But there, there's also this, this other side of it where, again, it operates so sinisterly. We, we totally miss it. And you spoke about it in a private chat the other day, but the conscious superiority, I want others to feel inferior. Therefore, I'm going to share these things that I don't necessarily do which is the flex. And I, I think that's in so many shapes and forms on social media now. Yeah. Something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, which kind of fits into what we're talking about here around these practices, around this idea of look at me, look at how amazing I am because I do my ice baths at 4.30 a.m. and I do this and I do that. There's this huge drive towards like self-development and self-growth and self-awareness and self-this and self-that. How much of that and the hugely sensationalized aspect that people talk about, like for the, I can't remember the quote, and I know you love quotes, but I can't remember it. And, mm -hmm. and oh, lon loneliness is a, it's something to do with loneliness. But anyways, you see these people that are talking about like self development and like, oh, it's a lonely road, and like people won't understand you, and there's this, and it's usually from these same people that are pushing this narrative of people simply won't understand that you've got your goals. How much of that is encouraging disconnection? How mm. much of that is encouraging people to push away from the ones that they love? Because they're like, oh, well, I'm developing myself and I'm on my own journey and I'm moving and doing this for me and you don't understand me because I do my ice baths at 4.30 in the morning. 
and and we know how important connection is for human well-being and and, and wellness and mental wellness and also to to navigate the challenges that come with things like mental illness so how much of this hyper focus on self-development on the promotion of these practices even when the people don't necessarily do them is actually alienating us even more than what we were already being alienated Mm. there's a certain amount of self-involvement there doesn't it and like interestingly and ironically a lot of the people that will identify narcissistic behavior in others and talk about how selfish other people are because they're not being on board perhaps with their new goals and what they choose to do and what's important in their lives do tend up to be a bit selfish, self-involved and, you know, maybe not by definition or diagnosis, narcissistic does kind of sound a little bit that way. I also think like vulnerable narcissists are, as just much of a thing. We, we tend to think of narcissism as the overt like psychopath, the stuff we may have seen in movies, but vulnerable narcissists, which are hugely insecure, think the world revolves around them and actually have to make everything about them. There's, there's a, bunch of that as well when you was talking about the the avoidance and the biohacking and everything else i you know i want to share a, an experience of mine is when i was i'm not even gonna say bodybuilding a participant of aesthetic sport is i was so immersed in that that i i did those things you know i had we our engagement party my mum through this like amazing engagement party home cooked turkish separate delicacies and I was sitting there eating out of my Tupperware box, like, well, I have a goal. Like, this is, you know, if I'm an IFBB pro, perhaps, but I wasn't. Like, what was more important in that situation? Or a time when I was dieting for a competition and my wife and I were supposed to, now wife, was supposed to have a day out together. And I was so exhausted from being on 1,700 calories a day and training twice a day that I had to sleep in the car. The poor woman went shopping on her own you know and i say that with an element of i don't want to say regret and shame because i think again from this informed coaching perspective now it's like i've had many positive dieting experiences i've had many negative ones and i I like to share all aspects of that because what most people will be exposed to are the, the hugely or seemingly positive reasons why people sacrifice to look a certain way and i want to kind of hang on there's, a, there's an element that's being missed out here. You see lots of that stuff, but also it might not even be down the disordered eating end to that extreme, but there are some unhealthy behaviours in between. And as you say, if you're advocating for disconnection, removing yourself socially, being that that lone wolf, which ironically wolves operate in packs most of the time, which is just the craziest sort of analogies that these fitpreneurs come out with, is that you should be able to get there with people. Mm. You know, we're built for social connection. You're not built to ostracize yourself. And if everyone around you loves you, cares for you, that doesn't care about all those things, are highlighting the negative aspects or how you might be inflicting that on others, possibly sometimes it is to do with they're just not on board and you've outgrown people. We all have that. But also possibly they have your best interests at heart. Yeah, and they can that you're doing something which isn't quite aligned with you, or you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Yeah, I, I just, I, it's again, it's one of these really challenging dynamics, isn't it? Because it's in the nuance of there's going to be some aspect of yeah, absolutely, 
your the people that you surround yourself with or your circle as they're sort of like oh who's your circle it may change it may need to change over time you will outgrow people you will maybe move people get families and and relationships and dynamics change and nothing's supposed to be forever anywhere so there's an aspect of that but i think even you sharing your experience there of it wasn't all hunky-dory there was some real struggles there was some moments that i look back on and reflect on that says that wasn't my proudest moment and i i've I've been there and got that t-shirt and I, i think that also heavily informs the approach that we take moving forwards as well and and potentially to the opposite extreme of like actually i knew like I, I i was there like i know how much that sucked and i don't want you to go through that but that can be almost overprotective in some aspects and it's about mm. to find that middle ground and, and bring yeah, it back you end up developing a bias can't you your own yeah. biases so yeah it's, it's taking the aspects of that which you recognize which were unhelpful to you personally in the circumstances within the context to how distinctly different that could be from someone else so it's not it kind of throwing not throwing out the baby the bathwater, mm. if you like you know that bit is unhelpful we can all broadly collaboratively acknowledge that isn't helpful for anyone but then this bit we can keep hold of yeah I I have only recently been able to start, well, not recently, maybe in the last year, been able to start eating salmon again. That will give you some idea of the incident. But yeah, it's it's that same thing. It's like we can find this middle. It, it always comes back to this middle way, like this middle ground, this middle path. And I believe it's from Buddhism, I want to say. There's this idea around there being this middle path. And it's like what we said earlier on, it's between the extremes of, absolutely we don't need to be to the point where we're denying ourselves social connection where we're not having experiences where we're isolated and alone to grow and make change and progress and at the same time like we don't need to abandon everything in between like we can have some semblance of structure but also space for the experience as well which again it's just it's that challenging bit trying to navigate that and I, I always do wonder how much of that needs to be learned through personal experience. Yeah. For example, with people who pursue keto, potentially, I'll just pick a random diet. Do they need to experience that first to realize actually, yeah, this really sucked and I don't want to do that again? How much do we... Like, it's the same as the pursuit of so many people pursue a six-pack and how much of that do you have to go through to realize that that isn't actually what you want? Because that was my own experience. Like I pursued that. I was trying to find my worth through getting lean and I got lean and I still didn't have my worth. Mm. And it's like, ah, well, maybe that wasn't the thing. And there's always this dynamic that I think about and that is how much of like how much of your place where you are now being able to say that didn't help is only through your own experience. And whether you agree with Naval Ravikant or not, he says sometimes it's easier to achieve your material desires than to renounce them. So it's yeah. easier to do it and then realize that wasn't what you wanted than it is to be able to turn around and say, I don't want that thing at all. And this isn't a promotion of any sort of extreme approaches, but it's just on the other, I want to say the other side of that coin, but I don't like that either because coins are only two-sided. Yeah, the other aspect of sometimes we need to go through that experience to have that ourselves. Yeah, some people need to learn that way. I think fundamentally is that it's the whole you can lead a horse to water thing is 
you know, people do need to make their own mistakes. I've made many mistakes. I continue to make many mistakes and fall on my face every single day. As I've already said, I've been, I said it on the last three podcasts, I am a deeply flawed human. I'm still not got myself together all of the time. A lot of us, we're just doing our best. And I think there is humility in that. And I think that's necessary. I think it's necessary that people have imposter syndrome. And I'd much rather, to be quite frank, be on this side of occasionally a bit insecure, a bit unsure, a bit more unforgiving of myself rather than the the delusional confidence Dunning-Kruger side because mm. you've got nowhere to go from there. You know, if you think you're the, the accomplished fit model, fully enlightened, hovering above the ground, cross-legged, humming to yourself, imposing wisdom on others, then yeah, that, that, that's, that is a problem, I think. Man, I'm so appreciative of your time and I'm looking at it eating up swallowing up your day bearing in mind we had a 20 minute piss around at the start Stu in case anyone wants to find out more about you where can they go Instagram's probably just the best place stu.graham.s25 you can find me there everything else that I do there articles podcast writing whatever but no it's been a phenomenal conversation i appreciate you inviting me on it's been an absolute pleasure you've had some sensational guests and i have to say prior the nerves were there i was like oh i've got a standard to live up to here because the other conversations have been so so phenomenal and i think just doubling down on what you said there like it's clear that you've done a lot of work on yourself you've you've done that introspective aspect and you're still able to say I'm still struggling with this. I'm still struggling with that. And I think for people listening, if someone doesn't show that side of themselves and doesn't say like, actually, I'm not the finished product because according to social media, everyone's enlightened these days and being able to highlight that and be like, Oh, actually I am still flawed. I think that's a truer test of character than the amount of wisdom that someone shares. So thank you. And keep oh, thank you. Work. We're all striving for that top of the, the Maslow's hierarchy of a fully actualized, just floating around. <laughs> yeah, it's strange actually when you think about it, isn't it? Because we say it's all about the process and everyone's still focused on trying to get to that place as opposed to, to be where we are now. It's like, oh, you know, to go through this, this idea, oh, we're going to become enlightened at the end. Everyone's searching for this point where they, they kind of get to the end. But it's just yeah. the rival fallacy all over again. Like, we're never going to get there. So you might as well just let go of that idea and just be where your feet are. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of just, you don't have to love the process. But if you can't invest in something enough just to do it, regardless of getting to an end result, it's probably not for you or you're not thinking about it in the right way. But yeah, thanks again, mate. I'm going to wrap up there. If anyone did enjoy that, the usual I guess podcast begs at the end. I don't need to fill in the blanks, but yeah, the only way it reaches more ears if, if people share it. So yeah, let us know what you think anyway. Cheers.